How did Satan go against God? That's very interesting in today's situation. We'll talk about it. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Him. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We're taking you through the Bible now. Somebody who helps us is Ryan and Corey. Corey, what's going on? We're going to be exploring the idea of the shepherd king today. Ryan? Today, I'm dealing with a really popular Bible question. Was it God or Satan who enticed King David to sin by numbering the people? All right, that's a really good question, and we'll talk about that and more as we continue to study on in this passage, because a lot of people have sort of different ideas on this. Anyway, Janice? Well, today is going to be very different. You're going to want to stick around because we have a very special guest that's going to be joining us at the end of the program. And I look forward to it because uh, he's like my uh, my older brother, and uh, it's a great, great uh, person. So make sure you stay there right now. Let's open up the Bible and listen to what God is saying to us. First Chronicles 21, verses 1 through 13. Now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. So David said to Joab and to the leaders of the people, Go, number Israel from Beersheba to Dan, and bring the number of them to me that I may know it. And Joab answered, May the Lord make his people a hundred times more than they are. But, my lord the king, are they not all my lord's servants? Why then does my lord require this thing? Why should he be a cause of guilt in Israel? Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab. Therefore Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and came to Jerusalem. Then Joab gave the sum of the number of the people to David. All Israel had one million, one hundred thousand men who drew the sword, and Judah had four hundred and seventy thousand men who drew the sword. But he did not count Levi and Benjamin among them, for the king's word was abominable to Joab. And God was displeased with this thing, therefore he struck Israel. So David said to God, I have sinned greatly because I have done this thing, but now I pray, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. Then the Lord spoke to Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and tell David, saying, Thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. Choose one of them for yourself, that I may do it to you. So Gad came to David and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Choose for yourself either three years of famine, or three months to be defeated by your foes with the sword of your enemies overtaking you, or else for three days the sword of the Lord the plague in the land with the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the territory of Israel. Now consider what I answer I should take back to him who sent me. And David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Please let me fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are very great. But do not let me fall into the hand of man. 1 Chronicles chapter 21, verses 1 through 13. 
First Chronicles chapter 18 to 21, that's what we do today as we focus on what God has taught us and is teaching us. Now, there is something worse than people ignoring God's law, and that is good people ignoring God's word. When Christians willfully do not do what God has commanded, even though they know what he's commanded, nothing more is more troubling. Christians are held at a higher standard with greater responsibility since we represent God to others on the earth as apostles of the Lord. Now that's why we basically at Bible Discovery TV make every effort to bring the God's word, the Bible, the wonderful word front and center. People need to know what God said. And there are many who say that God speaks to them and they claim they have divine knowledge. And while that can be true, the Bible must always reflect our point and spot contradictions and discernment of truth for falsehood and help us to navigate away of the beliefs and the attitudes and the feelings that people have. Now, King David is well known as a prophet king, someone God spoke to and through. Yet David made tons of mistakes, many times, in many ways. So here in 1 Chronicles, for instance, David chose to violate the commands of God by taking a census of Israel and its army. As a result, Israel went into great distress. Yet through these grave mistakes, David repented and God remained faithful to him. And that's what we see over and over again. David consistently makes mistakes and consistently repents before God. He doesn't justify the mistakes. And that's what made David great. Now take your Bible guide and turn to today's passage. It's very good as we focus on this. Remember the Bible guide. It can be given to you. If you don't have one, why not? You can write to us or you can call us or you can go to Bible Discovery TV. When you go to Bible Discovery TV, it will take you to a page, which I would recommend that you click on because that actually takes you to a donate page. Thank you for your donations. We appreciate them very much, especially this time of year. And uh, God helps us to continue broadcasting today. But it'll take you to the PDF files where you can download them as we are. Today, we're talking about doing wrong from 1 Chronicles chapter 21. Father, I pray today in the name of Jesus Christ that you would help us to hear you. Help us not to read into the Bible, but help us to read from the Bible and apply your knowledge to our hearts and change us today in Jesus' wonderful name. And we all said together, amen and amen. Now, here is what the Bible says. It's very interesting. It says, 1 Chronicles chapter 21, verse 1 says, Now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. So David said to Joab, the head of his army, and to the leaders of the people, Go number Israel from Beersheba to Dan, and bring the number of them to me that I may know it. And Joab answered, May the Lord make his people a hundred times more than they are. But my Lord, the king, are they not all my Lord's servants? Why then does my Lord require this thing? Why should he be a cause of guilt to Israel? Now, I find this 
fascinating because Joab knew it was a problem. And Satan stood up against God and enticed David to count the strength of his army. Wanted to know that he had strength. Now we should resist all pride at all cost. I want to tell you something. Pride is that evil thing that gets inside of us that makes us feel proud, but we should not be prideful. Now, the recent war is a good example of that because man is always destined to create war and cause things if he doesn't get what he wants. Remember, we like to think that we've outgrown it. We haven't outgrown it. We're human. We're nature. Our human nature is sinful, beloved. That becomes very important. Now, let's go back to the scripture and learn more. The Bible says in 1 Chronicles 21, verse 4, Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab. Therefore, Joab departed, and he went throughout all of Israel and came to Jerusalem. Then Joab gave the sum of the number of the people to David. All Israel had 1,100,000 men who drew the sword. And Judah had 470,000 men who drew the sword. But notice that Joab, he did not count Levi and Benjamin among them. For the king's word was abominable to Joab. Now that's fascinating. Remember this, that Joab did not include the tribes of Levi and Benjamin in the census. He knew what David had proposed would bring harm to everyone. Now there's a lot of discussion we can have about that. But remember this, we too should be faithful. Be faithful. What does that mean? It means God-fearing servants. As we are servants of God, we're not masters and demand what we want when we want. I know that's how we feel sometimes in democracies and other places of government. We don't demand what we want. We come to God as Christians, as people. If we are Christians, if we have invited Jesus Christ into our hearts, we come to God and we say, Lord, help us to know the decisions to make. Help us to know the right way to go here. And we follow God, beloved. That becomes very important. And God speaks to us through people, but mostly through his word, beloved. We need to hear that. In fact, always speaks through his word. God never speaks anything to anybody. That's his word, which is different from his word. Keep that in mind. Now with that, let's go on to 1 Chronicles 21, verses 7 to 13. And God was displeased with this thing, therefore he struck Israel. So David said to God, I have sinned greatly because I have done this thing, but now I pray take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. And then the Lord spoke to Gad, David's seer or prophet, saying, Go and tell David, saying, Thus says the Lord, I offer you three things, choose one of them for yourself, that I may do it to you. And so Gad came to David and said to him, Thus the Lord says, Choose for yourself either three years of famine, three months to be defeated by your foes with the sword of your enemies overtaking you, or else three days the sword of the Lord, the plagues in the land, with the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all of the territory of Israel. Now consider, David, what answer I should take back to him who sent me. And David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Please let me fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercies are very great. But do not let me fall 
into the hand of man. Bringing us to our last point, David fell on God's punishment because of his merciful nature. Beloved, we must always confess and ask the Lord for his forgiveness first. We must always confess and ask the Lord and say to him, Lord, I have sinned against you. Forgive me and help me. In Jesus' name, that's what we must do today. Hi, Rod Hember here. We go through the Bible every year from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Now you can join us and watch at the time you like by searching Bible Discovery TV on the Roku box or on Amazon Fire TV. Anytime you want to watch us, we're there. Get a hold of it. Watch us anytime you want to. Well, it's time now to carry on with our Bible study. And today we read 1 Chronicles chapters 18 to 21. And a lot of readers really get hung up on verse 1 of chapter 21 because it says that it was an adversary and quite possibly the adversary himself, Satan, who enticed King David to sin by taking a census of Israel. But back in the parallel account of 2 Samuel 24, it says that it was God who enticed David to number the people. So who was it that enticed David to sin? God or an adversary? Well, let's study. While the Bible unashamedly proclaims itself to be God's word thousands of times, hundreds of apparent contradictions are held up by its critics as evidence against those declarations. Yet closer inspection of said inconsistencies reveals no true errors at all. For example, one of the supposed conflicts is found between the parallel passages of 2 Samuel 24 and 1 Chronicles 21. 2 Samuel 24 verse 1 says that because God was angry with Israel, he incited David to take a census of Israel and Judah, which was a sin in the Lord's eyes. But then in 1 Chronicles 21 verse 1, which records the very same event, it says that it was an adversary, and very possibly the adversary, Satan, who incited David to number the people. So, who was it that enticed David to sin? God or the adversary? This alleged difficulty is just a simple case of cause and effect. In one verse, God is the cause of the outcome or the effect. But in the other verse, the adversary is the cause of the outcome. Though at first glance, this appears to be problematic, to claim that these two verses are contradictory commits a logical fallacy known as bifurcation, which assumes that a given effect must have only one cause. But in actual fact, most events have multiple causes. Take rain, for example. What is it that causes rain? Is it moisture in the air? The air temperature dropping below the dew point? A cold front? Gravity pulling on the water droplets? Natural forces? Or God? Well, obviously, all these things cause rain, and yet they are not contradictory. As another example, consider the Bible. Was scripture written by God or by men? The correct answer is both. Men wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit of God to do so. In the same way, it can be said without any contradiction that both God and an adversary enticed David to sin. But does this then mean that God is responsible for David's sin? Of course not. As scripture reveals elsewhere, God himself never commits evil, nor does he tempt anyone. God was not David's tempter, 
But because the Lord was angry, he didn't prevent the adversary from tempting David either. And it is in that sense that both God and the adversary provoked David to sin. Of course, David still had a choice. He could have resisted the temptation, but instead he chose to sin as God knew he would, and God appropriately punished David and Israel for their sins. And yet, this was all in accordance with God's purpose, because this episode ultimately led to David purchasing the plot of land on which the future temple and temples would be built. Far from a contradiction, this is just one of many instances in the Bible in which God used evil and sinful agents to accomplish his purposes. And we must never forget that God is sovereign and ultimately overrules sinful activity for his glory and the ultimate good of mankind. So as you can see, there's no contradiction because an effect can have more than one cause. In this case, David's sin was the effect and it had more than one cause, God and an adversary. No, God himself wasn't the one who tempted David, but in his sovereignty, he did allow David to be tempted by an adversary. In this way, it can be said without the slightest contradiction that both God and an adversary enticed David. Very good, Ryan. Thank you so much for that report. It's important to remember that. Okay, Corey, what's going on? Right, all right. So we are reading near the end of the book of First Chronicles. So this is essentially our second reading of the end of King David's reign. We've read about it earlier in the Bible, and here we are again. So we're reading all of these summaries of the different things that he did. So I want to focus in on something that we often today also associate with David, which is this idea of him being a shepherd king. Uh, you know, a, a, um, a type of a king that should be emulated, uh, a messianic type even. And when we get into the book of Psalms, we're going to see this, this idea, this motif of the shepherd king being expanded upon. And in fact, it's going to continue to go on, not only throughout the rest of the Old Testament, but well into the New Testament as well. So let's take a look at this idea, this motif of the shepherd king. Christianity has found a useful symbol in the image of the shepherd. Our word pastor is from the Latin meaning shepherd, and it's within the common language of the church to speak of this relationship between a pastor and his congregation as the relationship between a shepherd and his flock. Beyond this, the church as a whole recognizes the image of the good shepherd, that is, as Jesus Christ, as king of the church, its ultimate leader. This image of the Good Shepherd is taken right from the lips of Jesus himself, who in turn was quoting the Jewish prophets of the Old Testament, who in their turn were working off of a popular image in the ancient world. Nearly as far back as written history goes, there exists the motif of kings as shepherds. It was used in ancient Mesopotamia as far back as 3000 BC, the area of the world out of which Abraham was called. The Egyptian pharaohs used a shepherd's staff or crook as one of their royal symbols, and the prophets of Israel and Judah used the metaphor repeatedly. In the world of the ancient Near East, this was an obvious metaphor. The pastoral industry, the raising of sheep and goats, was a backbone of society. From these animals, the necessities of life were produced. Meat, milk and resulting dairy products, clothing from their wool and eventual leather. Their horns were used as trumpets or containers to carry things like oil. And sheep were a means to barter or trade with. 
Sheep were even taken as taxes in organized society. For example, a hundred sheep a day were provided by the citizens of Israel for King Solomon's household and government. And sheep were a central sacrificial animal as outlined by the biblical Mosaic law. The image of kings and leaders as shepherds in the ancient Near East may also be seen with a bit of irony due to the sometimes stigmatized profession that it was. Shepherds were often viewed as uncivilized, always dwelling outside, away from cities, away from protection. They were necessary, but not glamorous. The symbol, however, likely derived from the special relationship that developed between sheep and their shepherd, including the sheep's ultimate trust of the shepherd and their obedience to his or her voice, sending a protective, nurturing message to help solidify a king's power. Biblically, the image of the good shepherd is taken on by Christ himself. Jesus is not only claiming to be the Messiah of Israel, but her true shepherd king as well. This goes a great way in explaining the early Christian artistic representations of Christ, not only as the good shepherd with a sheep on his shoulders, but also generally with a staff in his hands. This image would have evoked the metaphor of the good shepherd and likely doing double duty would have connected him as the bringer of the new covenant with the arbiter of the first covenant on Mount Sinai, the shepherd, Moses. So this is one of those examples of God utilizing a, a, a very widespread cultural idea uh, to communicate to his people. We see that in the Shepherd King motif, how it really is picked up on. Uh, so during the time, people would have understood what was going on, and then it develops as a biblical theme so that even down until today, even though those cultures now that originally had it are gone, uh, we still have it as a biblical theme today. Thank you, Corey, very good. I want to uh, focus on something uh, that's relevant, and that's, of course, the war in Ukraine and Russia and all of that. And uh, if you know, um, we are tied with WOW, Working for Orphans and Widows, and the gentleman who is the president of that organization, both in the United States and Canada, Jim Cannellan. Welcome, Jim. Thanks, Rod. Good to have you here. Now, tell us about, we're gonna to talk to you about the war in a minute, but tell us about WOW and how it's going. Well, WOW is 22 years of age. It's, it stands for Working for Orphans and Widows. And for the last 22 years, my wife and I, with a huge team of volunteers, have been working with orphans and widows impacted by HIV and AIDS in Sub-Saharan Africa and Southern India, and now the COVID-19 pandemics, you have a double whammy, you got two pandemics at work. And uh, so we, we've, we've been dealing with thousands of orphans uh, over these 22 years. And on top of that, we have the, the war that broke out with Russia and all of that. What happened? Tell me about this relationship you had with this gentleman. Yeah, well, first of all, we do not work anywhere without working in and through local churches. I, I, I believe the church is still God's plan for the world. And being a pastor myself, I have a bias but um, anyway, <clears throat> I, I, Kathy and I have been talking about expanding our horizons the last few months. And suddenly, wow, we've got orphans like in their hundreds, maybe thousands now uh, coming out of Ukraine. And I was thinking about this just the other day, and it struck me that we need to expand our horizons into Ukraine and Poland, and wherever these orphans are going. And so uh, just a few days ago, I contacted someone who is a pastor with whom I have a 40-year relationship. So the relational component is there, church is there. And on top of that, he's overseeing a number of churches in Ukraine and Poland 
who are now refugee centers by their own choice for these millions of refugees who are coming out of um, Ukraine. Uh, their basements are being used as refugee centers, the church buildings themselves, the distribution centers. And then what really interests me more than that is the orphans. And we are dealing with a lot of orphans. In fact, I think we have a pic here of some of the Ukrainian orphans that um, just came to my phone. Uh, there's, there's, that's a church basement, by the way, that's become a, a center for refugees. But um, the next pick, I think, is uh, the one that really will warm your heart. These, these are Ukrainian orphans. In the basement of a church? In the basement of the church. And about 30 of them, I, I was just told a couple hours ago, about 30 of them have already been bused to uh, Poland uh, out of this group. And then the other 30 are going to be sent, I think, in the next day or two. Uh, but then there's just as many and many and many again coming in, even as these are leaving. But these little kids are going to be placed in uh, uh, in Christian homes, in Poland uh, especially, um, and in a few other welcoming countries. But uh, with WOW, uh, and WOW is partnering with you at Bible Discovery, we're trying to do, you know, we're trying to let our light shine. In fact, uh, we tithe we tithe, sorry about the emotion, we tithe too well, but this is a very important time and the relationship aspect of it is critical. Well, absolutely. And, and you know, I, I ask bald-headedly, I'm being bald myself, but, <laughs> or bald-facedly, I'm not asking for us. Uh, you know, th th this is the greatest crisis this world has, has seen, you know, in the last hundred years. Um, we're on the verge of World War III, as many experts are saying. But uh, the whole world is uh, totally scandalized by this thing. And, mm. and, and, and as is it usually the case, it's, it's really the Christian church that's on the forefront mm. of, uh, mm. of care and of relief yeah. and of support. Um, even as it has been and continues to be in so many countries on the cutting edge of care for those who have COVID-19. And we'll talk more about this on the next program. Janice? And where can people find your website, Jim? To, Just uh, wildmission.com wild and uh, the www.missio.com. The, wildmission.com. And um, that, that site right now covers pretty much what we're doing in Africa. It's going to take me a while to get an actual update on what we're doing in Ukraine and that we've only been at it for a week. Yes. Yeah, very good. We'll talk more about this on the next one. Thank you for joining us today. Remember that Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we can pray for you at 3.30 to 4.30 Eastern time. We'd love to. So we're live on Facebook, YouTube, and Bible Discovery, and we will pray for you. Join us there, won't you? Today, let's pray and say this. Say, Father, I must carefully hear your voice in my life and not listen to the calls of so many other people. Help me today in Jesus' name.